This draft day around the NFL, this is Tony Wiggins with your Jacksonville Jaguars report here on Locked on Jaguars. Draft day is here. It's a different draft. It'll be a virtual draft with Roger Goodell and all of the owners sitting in separate buildings and in separate places. Yet still, your football team in Jacksonville gets to add some players. How many picks will they use today? They have two going in. A rumor came out last night that the Raiders were offering the 19th pick for the rights to Yannick Ngakwe. That hasn't been confirmed. However, the opportunity does exist for Jacksonville to get an additional first-round pick or to possibly move up until the end of the first round if the board falls the way they want it to. They have the arsenal to do it with 12 picks heading into this draft. So it'll be very interesting to see if Jacksonville is able to maneuver a little bit, get some extra capital, get some extra picks to help this football team in 2020. I know most of you guys are, are anxious and trying to figure out what's going on. You're going to be looking all day for news, the cycle to break some news for you. Uh, I wanted to try to wait until we could get uh, as much information as possible to try to break stuff before the end of draft day, but I just couldn't help myself, man. I had to go ahead and come in here and give this to you now so you guys can go ahead and get situated, get your Rotel dip going, get your wings going, get your brewskis going that I know that you're going to go out and get and enjoy while we're doing this quarantine thing, doing COVID-19. So I ain't going to uh, overdo it with this, but I will give you my picks. My picks are that the Jaguars go defense, defense again, and then they focus on offense. So I think the first two picks will be used on defense with one caveat, and that caveat is this. If both of those defensive tackles are gone by the time they pick, I think they might go offensive tackle. Or they may go wide receiver in two different scenarios. One scenario is they go wide out if this board gets all funny and you see a quarterback at number nine that you don't expect to see, and that means that the defensive players and the offensive tackles that they really like were taken. The other thing is they could take a wide receiver at 20 if somebody falls, and if that somebody is Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy because of now some mystery uh, knee injury that sort of popped up, don't be surprised if they reach out and touch them and bring those playmakers in here to add to this offensive arsenal. They need playmakers all over the ball. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's not a smokescreen when they say they love their offensive line. Dave and Doug both said it at the Combine. So I wouldn't necessarily look for for them to to, to add a, an offensive tackle unless it's somebody that kind of falls to them that they have ranked really, really high. Uh, they love those guys, man. And, and, you know, when you're around them all the time, sometimes you can get blinded by that love. And sometimes if you're the one that picked them, you get blinded by that love. I often wonder how things would be done differently if they had changed GMs. Now, I like Dave Caldwell. But had they changed GMs with these evaluations – uh, with the new GM, it looked on, on, on tape and goes, well, we like the guy, we just don't like what they did or what they asked him to do. Because at some point, you can't like everything that was dysfunctional. At some point, when things are dysfunctional, there has to be something that you don't like. And I know they traded away Nick Foles, but Nick Foles barely played last year, so that doesn't count. And I know they got rid of Tom Coughlin, that doesn't count. Because... Tom Coughlin has done more and accomplished more than anybody here. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, the draft picks tell you the true story. It tells you the true story of the evaluation process. And 
it also gives you an idea of who they really do like on their football team because if they don't replace them, that means they actually do like those guys. So check it out tonight. Uh, enjoy yourself uh, and enjoy it all weekend because day two almost is almost just as fun as day one, in my opinion. All right, man, so check this out. What we're going to do is I'm going to take one break today. And I know normally here on Lockdown Jaguars, we take two breaks. But I'm going to take one break because I had Joe Marino from Draft Network come on and we were rolling so good. I didn't do I, I didn't I didn't I didn't break it up uh, enough uh, because we were on a roll, man. I, I thought it was eight minutes long. It turned out to be a lot longer than that. So Joe Marino from, from Draft Network, I got him on. He's a senior NFL analyst. And it is all for you, Jaguar fans. I want you guys to really, really pay attention and listen to this. So buckle your seatbelts up. But I do have a message from our Locked On NFL sponsors in Postmate. Stand by for this. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what you eat for dinner while you're still eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. And in this time of COVID-19, I've actually had some bad experiences because I don't live by myself and other people order food and they use other delivery services. Sometimes the order's wrong. Sometimes it takes so long that the food is cold. Well, you don't have that problem with Postmates because you know what? I told everybody who lives with me, that's who we're using now. And I do not want to see anybody else come to that door that is not affiliated with Postmates because they're always on time. They always do everything the way it's supposed to be done. They have Postmates pickups, which I love. Use it to order takeout for my favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, as draft day approaches, it's time for teams to start making choices. It's time for teams to start making decisions. And here on Locked on Jaguars, we always bring you the absolute best in terms of experts and guys who really put a lot of work in. How about the Draft Network? I know you all follow it on Twitter. I do. I'm a big fan of it. We've got the director of administration, and he's a senior NFL analyst for the Draft Network. My man, Joe Marino. Joe, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on. Obviously, very excited about uh, what's about to unfold here over the next few days. Yeah, we are really excited. It's a little bit different, and, and uh, I don't think it's as much different as people think because when you think about it, the owners are normally not at the draft, but they usually have a lot of representation. So we'll miss the introductions and we'll miss people hugging on folks. But I think the telephone work is going to still be the same. Do you think anything's going to be any different other than maybe if there's a, a bad storm somewhere and we don't get to see it because of a glitch or something? You know, it's interesting. I've had a hard time finding what's so difficult about this virtual draft. I mean, obviously the dynamics you've outlined are, are not going to be part of this. But in terms of these general managers uh, cashing in their picks and, and getting this thing done, I don't know what's difficult. Those guys are always uh, not together. It's not like these guys all get together at a conference room at a, at a holiday inn and do the draft. They're in their respective <laughs> cities making their picks. So I, I don't I don't I don't get a Google Doc going and get the draft done. I don't know what's so, what's so hard about it, you know. 
Yeah, me either, Joe, man. You know, it's just I think people don't like change. People are never receptive to change. Uh, one thing about this business, though, and, and I appreciate the work that you guys do because I know it's it's not just watching highlight tapes on YouTube. I tried to tell my listeners when I did radio and since I've been doing this, don't watch highlight tapes, watch game film and watch all 22. I know a lot of scouts. I am probably closer to some people because I have some personal relationships. The scouts hate when they spend two years, man, eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches and driving around in these little rural towns because everybody thinks about SEC and Power Five. These guys go to North Texas. These guys go to Southern Illinois. They come back and make their boys up, and then these dudes, the GMs and coaches that only do this for three or four weeks, they come in and switch it around because they haven't had that paralysis by analysis and all of the extra work. I think this is the scouts draft. Because these guys are going to have to lean on people that do the hard, dirty work that people don't see all the time. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. And as a matter of fact, the scouts that I've spoken to about the process have, you know, nobody's rooting for what's happening across the nation right now, but they are really enjoying mattering more than ever when it comes down to these decisions and stacking the board and ultimately which players are going to be picked. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where, like you said, for, for years these guys are going, finding out all these intel, getting to know these players, uh, getting their recommendations, writing reports, and then as soon as the general managers and the coaching, uh, the position coaches get their hands on the the, the tape and, and start, you know, doing their work within a, you know, six-week window after the season as they prepare for the draft, you know, they get bucked based on what these position coaches want. So, you know, this is really cool to see these guys that are out there grinding, like you said, traveling to the smaller schools and, and doing all this work, really having a big-time voice this year in the process. Talking to NFL draft analyst, senior NFL draft analyst, Joe Marino of the draftnetwork.com. Uh, it's at the draft network and he is at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Okay, Joe, let's get down to it, man. For Jacksonville, they need just about everything. Uh, there's argument whether they need a quarterback or not. They're not going to take one. They're going to go with Minshew. So I I'll take that out. Uh, Dave Caldwell spoke the other day and said the defensive line depth is not very good beyond the first two. Do you think because of positional value, because of what's not there, that tends to lead to you thinking if you want a defensive tackle, which the Jaguars need, that they're going to have to strike early with either Kinlaw or Brown or whoever falls to them? I think that's my expectation for the Jaguars' first pick at number nine. Uh, it, you kind of think about the Jaguars, and it's not a, a very rich history in terms of length, but when I think about Jacksonville Jaguars football, I think about John Henderson and Marcus Stroud and uh, you know, even Calais Campbell recently, you know, really dynamic interior defensive lineman. And, you know, that's that's not the case right now. It's a very different looking defensive interior, very look, very different looking defense in general. And and I think, you know, if Dave Caldwell is, is not high on the depth of this defensive tackle class, you know, his chance to get an impact player is going to be at number nine in the form of Derek Brown uh, from Auburn or, or Javon Kinloff from uh, South Carolina. So I think that's kind of a logical direction. If you're going to rebuild the defense, Build it from the, the trenches back on the inside. Get stout and give give yourself a chance to uh, to get this defense back on track. Yeah, um, one of the things that that we look at from draft to draft is the aspect of position of value. When folks say this is similar to, I think it was 2013 or 14, whenever it was that Odell and Sammy Watkins came out, I think it was the same draft as Devontae uh, Parker and, and and Allen Robinson and all those guys. They talk about the the, the wide receiver depth. Does the fact that there's so many receivers actually hurt the guys at the very top because teams are willing, in your in your experience, are they willing to wait because they feel like they could get a player of similar value? Or 
is it a case where, man, if that's your need and you're not just looking at these guys as just a guy, like I hate the term you can find a guy. Yeah, you can find a guy, but you can't find that dude. If that's the case, well, which one of these receivers is that guy or, or does it hurt those guys that teams want to wait because there's so much depth? Well, I think I think you should be willing to wait to an extent. I mean, if you're not going to get one of these top three guys in Ruggs, Judy, or Lamb, to me it makes all the sense in the world to wait and take advantage of the depth of the class and pick one on day two. And the NFL has taught us very clearly that you can get impact wide receivers on day two. Just look at the last few drafts where DK Metcalf, uh, you had uh, Terry McCorin, you had Debo Samuel. A.J. Brown, uh, you know, Mike Thomas was a, sec- was a second-round pick. Chris Godwin, you can get impact receivers on day two. And, and I think the reality is seeing that trend and then also seeing the Corey Coleman's of the world and uh, other first-round receivers that have just not, not really panned out, the value and opportunity there on day two is, is definitely going to help. Now, with that said, as I you know, work on my final mock draft, as I try to connect all the dots here, I'm still finding a place for six, seven, up to eight receivers in the first round. So while the trends are that day two receivers is where the value is, I think despite this being a stacked wide receiver year, I think you're going to see a bunch of them go in the first round. Yeah, I, I do too. And and we always have, uh, we always have these guys that pop up out of nowhere. One, we have guys that fall. Last year, Josh Allen fell to the Jags. Nobody expected it. Daniel Jones was actually taken about 10 spots higher than anybody anticipated. I, I looked at three guys, and I want you to give me your opinion of them. And I, I'm sure they're not going to be first-rounders, but I'm sure they, they may be guys that, that might end up in that, that later part of the first round or second round. Some guys that, um, that in, in the 11th hour I've watched tape on that I really love. What do you think about Daryl Taylor, the, the pass rusher from Tennessee? I like Daryl Taylor. Uh, you know, senior from, from Tennessee, he gets good size. If you're playing a 4-3 defense, he's going to fit the prototype you're looking for in terms of height, weight, and length. Uh, really physical at the point of attack. I really appreciate the tape that he put up against Georgia going up against Isaiah Wilson, who's 350 pounds with 35-plus inch arms, and he bullied everyone he faced this year except for Daryl Taylor. So I really appreciate the power he has at the point of attack, his ability to win as a run defender. Uh, but also, you know, he's got the length, he's got the juice to become – uh, an impact pass, pass rusher. Now he he faded a bit in college in terms of those those uh, that consistency as a pass rusher. But I think all the tools are present for him to become a more consistent player in the NFL as he gets you know more coaching and and really hones in on his craft. So I think if you're looking for a defensive end on day two, I think you'd be well served to, to target uh, Darrell Taylor. Right, and, and uh, I totally agree with you. And let me show you how good you are. I'm gonna let our listeners know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't softball these names to you. I didn't tell you about any of these dudes. So, and I knew I didn't have to because I know you know your stuff. Two other guys I'll mention real quick. Give me your assessment on them, and then I'll ask you one last question after this. I love me some Willie Gay Jr. Man, when I watch film on him, I, I when I see him, all, all I think is I, I don't know if he's a Mike or, or if he's a if he's a weak side linebacker. I just know he's a football player, and I think about guys like Bobby Wagner, and, and I think about some other guys that just flash and just they just pop on. The last guy that did that to me was a kid from Florida who plays safety for Atlanta. He, he just Keanu Neal. They just pop on screen. I think Willie Gay Jr. is a guy that's going to make somebody very happy. And Lynn Bowden, man. Lynn Bowden is is what are these these guys from Kentucky always seem to play <laughs> that slot very well and of course everybody's going to compare him to the receiver that Houston just re-signed from Dallas who used to be in Green Bay all of those years but the thing is is those two guys give me assessment as maybe third round choices of Willie Gay Jr. and Lynn Bowden. 
Yeah, Willie Gay Jr., a linebacker from Mississippi State. I mean, that dude's a heat-seeking missile. He can destroy type player uh, where, you know, he's got a lot of size and athleticism. He plays a physical brand of football. There's no doubt about it. His athletic profile translates very well to pass coverage. And, of course, when he can uh, see and close, I mean, he can he, – he, he has a fast trigger. He closes down distance quick, and he comes and he finishes with a lot of power. Now, the challenge with Willie Gay is he hasn't played a ton of football, and it shows. You know, he's not a dynamic processor. He doesn't see the game very cleanly. You know, he kind of plays through a straw. Um, and, and is you know, he's just underdeveloped in terms of his instincts at this point. Now, that's why you put him at a weak side linebacker, a pursuit-style player where you don't ask him to, to read and react. You say, see ball, get ball. See and chase. Go use that athleticism and that, and that motor that you have, and we'll get the thinking out of this thing, and we'll use you as an attack-style player. So I think in that type of role, that's exciting for me. And then, of course, he's got the physical upside to do a whole lot more you let him develop as he, as he fills that and chase role. Uh, the other guy you had mentioned, Lynn Bowden, uh, kind of a utility player, if you will, from Kentucky. Played some quarterback, some running back, some wide receiver. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what the appeal is with him, is that he can do so many different things. You think about what the Saints have been able to do with uh, Taysom Hill. I think he's a more dynamic version of that, where if you want to have him throw a pass, but also take a jet sweep or give him the football in space on a quick touch, he can do those types of things for you. That dude plays with an edge. I can tell you, your, your style, you like those physical football players, guys that get after it a bit. Uh, and, and Wynn Bowden, he brings the fight on every single play. So that competitive spirit, yeah, that's going to make a team uh, real happy to have as a utility weapon on offense. Yep, man, I'm a one-note dude. Last year, my favorite player in the draft was Debo Samuel. I just like guys when they get off the bus. I don't care if you're going to play kickball, whether you're going to ride a unicycle. They're going to just compete. That's just what I like. Finally, I got to ask you this, because people give Jacksonville a very hard time because they took Leonard Fournette, and they did not take Deshaun Watson, and they did not take, of course, Patrick Mahomes. I know you're very familiar with most teams, but I know you're really familiar with the Buffalo Bills. Has the fact that the Bills made the playoffs made people forget that they actually traded the rights or to the pick to New England. I mean, I'm sorry, to Kansas City. And the Chiefs took Patrick Mahomes, who looked like he's the next coming of, well, nobody we've ever seen before. Buffalo gets a pass on that for some reason. Is it because they made the playoffs and people kind of forget about that? Sort of <laughs> people forget that Houston could have took Jordan, but they took Elijah Wan because Elijah Wan was pretty good too. Well, you know, I think I think there's probably, what, 11 teams that deserve criticism for not picking Patrick Mahomes, let's be honest, right? I mean, the, the Bills traded the pick that was used to uh, for the Chiefs to come up and get Mahomes, but the reality is, I mean, starting with Cleveland at one, uh, every single one of those teams deserves criticism. And the reality is, if anyone knew Patrick Mahomes to be what he was today, he wouldn't get the number 11. He was the number one pick in the draft, and that's the reality of the, the situation with Pat Mahomes. I mean, he was a pretty raw player coming out of Texas, uh, Texas Tech, and he went to the perfect situation. He got to play behind Alex Smith with Andy Reid as his offensive coordinator, dynamic weapons at, at, at every position, wide receiver, tight end, good running backs, and a veteran offensive line. Well, that's a dream scenario to come in and sit for a year and then take over the league. And, and so I think, you know, that's a good example of where, you know, the, the scenario and, and environment that's created for a quarterback matters so much for how they acclimate to the NFL. And so, you know, you can't sit here and tell me that if Patrick Mahomes was picked by a different team that he's exactly the same as he is right now. You know, I think you, we have to give a lot of credit to that scenario. Now, when it comes to the Bills, you know, the, the good news is they traded back to 27. They got a first-round pick the following year, and 27 was, was used on Trey White, who's, you know, a top-five cornerback in the NFL and all-pro last year. So, they, you know, they made those picks count, but obviously – you know, I'm pretty sure all 31 other teams not named the Kansas City Chiefs would, would like to have Patrick Holmes as their quarterback right now. 
Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I promise you I won't keep you too long, man, but it's been a long time coming. I hope it's not the last time we uh, get together and talk to each other, Joe, and I know you're going to be busy over the next uh, 24 to 30 hours or so, and, and and then for you, you're going to be busy Friday and Saturday too because I know uh, for guys that follow it so closely like you, the first round is just the tip of the iceberg. You guys really roll your sleeves up, the guys that do this all the time. And uh, you can find and we got Joe. 236 after the first round, you know? Yeah, and, and, you, and I know what, at 229, you're going to be just excited as you were at number two. <laughs> All right, here's my man Joe Marino at the Joe Marino on Twitter. He is the senior analyst, senior NFL analyst for the Draft Network. Also does Draft Dudes uh, podcast uh, with us. Uh, Joe, man, I appreciate it, and thank you so much for joining us here on Locked On Jaguars. Absolutely, thanks for having me. All right, Joe Marino. Joe Marino does it the right way, and I was glad we were able to get him on. Uh, this is Tony Wiggins, and we'll be right back with a little bit more of Locked On Jags. All right, make sure you check out uh, Locked On uh, Fantasy Football, Locked On uh, NFL, and Locked On uh, show we have called Draft Dudes. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. And please, please enjoy the draft tonight. Be safe. Uh, Please uh, practice social distancing. Take care of each other in the community. And enjoy the draft. And I hope you enjoyed this edition of Locked On Jaguars.